Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Um, thank you, Mike. Go on the hunt for a, for a podium. You know, when I first started preaching, I didn't have a podium, and I had a Bible twice as thick as this one, and I, was, I would pace, I don't know if you guys remember, back and forth. The Lord has helped me to kind of calm down a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, well, let's read in Matthew 23, um, starting in verse 32. Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would, would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, thank you for your word. In it we find truth. This morning I just pray that you help us to understand, understand it correctly. And that you help us to not keep it at arm's length, but but to be open to it, to be changed by it, to be challenged by it, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is um, still in that week. I don't know if you remember. We're in the week uh, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. There's a lot that happens in that week. And, and he's been talking to the crowds. He's been talking to his disciples. And he's been uh, talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And if you recall, before we took a break during Christmas and everything, he, um, he, he was talking to his disciples and telling them, uh, you need to do what the scribes and Pharisees say, but don't follow what they do, right? Do, do as they say, not as they do, uh, because the position they're in and the teachings that they're teaching from, the, from God's word, that, that, that position is deserving of honor and respect, and, and you need to... Honor that, but do not follow what they're doing. Don't follow the course of what they're doing. And then last week, uh, we went through the seven woes, where Jesus is just really letting him have it. Here's, here's where you're at. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woes are, are just uh, a, an expression of, of what is unpleasing to God with this idea of, of condemnation behind it. And we saw that really where they're at is, is the best of human religion, human, what human religion will get you. And we compared that to the Beatitudes Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, which is really more of what we have in Jesus Christ, the relationship with God. Um, and so if I go back um, to the last woe, it was kind of summing up where they end up. Um, in verse 29, um, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. 
That's what's leading up into what he's going into now. They, they would decorate these tombs. Back then, they would they'd make these beautiful shrines to the prophets in the past. And, and, and what Jesus is saying here is you, you claim that if you had been back then with your fathers, those you're descended from, that you wouldn't have been among those that murdered these prophets now that you know these were prophets sent by God. But he says, no, you are sons of your fathers. Um, And so then he says in verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell. What does he mean? Fill up. Um, we're looking into this, this point in time of Jesus interacting with Israel, with Jerusalem. There's a long history between Jesus and Israel, between Jesus and in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is the Lord. They don't realize he's the Lord. But, but he's been interacting with them all the way since they were becoming a nation. He was there when they were coming out of Egypt. He was there throughout the whole course of, them, of, of King David being set on his throne. And, and, and then through all of the history of Israel, this is the Lord. This is Jesus. And in his language, it's very obvious um, Even as he's saying, how many times would I have gathered your people together? This is the words of one who has been with them for so many years. There's so many places like this. We looked at that apologetics question, is Jesus God? Does he say he's God? You just look at what he's saying, and it's obvious he has a long history and relationship with them. And so in this moment, he's saying, fill up. What does he mean by fill up? Well, if we look through the history of the world and we see the character of God and we see how he has interacted with mankind, um, we see his forbearance. What is forbearance? How long he's willing to bear our sin. How long he's willing to be patient with the rebellion of man. Um, How long is the fuse to his anger, right? God's forbearance is great. But we see in in the history of of the world, really from the beginning, um, how there's, it's taken, there is this point where you have filled up the rebellion. and, and, And you come to the point where God then acts in judgment. We saw that, um, Leading up to the flood, the generations following Adam in a world where there was no oracles from God that ultimately he would give to to the people of Israel. There was no chosen nation. It was just mankind, sinful, fallen from God, filling up, spreading, multiplying, and filling the earth, but rejecting God and becoming more and more evil until finally you get... Um, what it says right before the account of the flood in Genesis 6, 5. You got that? Genesis 6. All right, there it is. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. They had, that, that's, that's this concept of filling up the transgression. They had gotten to where there was nothing left. There was one person, Noah. And God brought judgment on the world. Um, after that, God chose Abraham, right? God chose a man. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And he brought him to this land. And he said, this is the land I'm going to give to your descendants. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And this is where you're going to be. Well, there, was, there were nations in that land. There was people in that land. 
And, and then as he's, just, as he's um, explaining to Abraham how it's going to be, 400 years of his people are actually going to be in a different land in captivity, and, the, and there's going to be this time. And, and there was a reason in that time before they would come and take over that land because not only was God providing a place for them, but he was also going to be bringing judgment on a people in that land. And they had not yet filled up the transgression against God. His forbearance was still in play. His patience with them was still in play. We see that in Genesis 15, 16, as he's explaining to, to Abraham, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why the fourth generation? Why that far away? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. His forbearance, his patience with this evil nation still is continuing on, and, and their evil is getting greater and greater. And so when you see Israel coming in to destroy those in that land, it's also God's judgment on the sin that has filled up against him of those in that land. Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that interaction? The Lord. It says the Lord. That was Jesus, pre, pre-incarnate Jesus, talking to Abraham. And, and, and Abraham's worried because they're coming to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And wait, his nephew lives there. Right? And so what, what does Abraham say? Well, if there's 55 people there that, that are still righteous, would you still? No, no, I, I, I won't destroy it. Well, how about 45? And how about 40 and 30 and 20 and 10? No, if there's 10, I won't. God ends up sending these angels to go in and take what's left, just Lot's family. And even that, as he's leaving, his, is it his wife that turns, looks back? His wife, her heart's still back there. Their transgression was full. And so you see the weight of those words when Jesus is telling them, you are just like your father's. In this history of what has been a history of rebellion and then, and then returning to God and rebellion and returning to God, but now a constant rebellion against God, that Jesus is telling them in verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers. That's what that's about. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell. Judgment is coming upon them. Jesus is declaring judgment upon Jerusalem. And so he continues, therefore, verse 34, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. There's a couple of things going on here. He said, I'm sending you prophets and scribes. And you're, Jesus is, is saying, and notice he says, I send you. Here's, he's a God. He, he is, he's God. He's, he's, he's speaking as God. He is God. He's giving them the last thing they need to fill up the transgression, right? He's giving them... Really, Jesus himself will be crucified on the cross and then all of his disciples that follow him in the years of, and, and that generation is the generation that will be judged. 40 years after this, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Jesus is, is declaring judgment on the city of Jerusalem, of, of the people there. Um, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. That Jesus is bookending the whole scripture, the Old Testament scriptures. Abel, that's, that's the first uh, murder in Genesis, right? You got Genesis 
And then uh, the order of books in the Old Testament for, for Hebrews is not what we have. Uh, what we have in order is more like a librarian got a, hel- got a hold of it and put everything in category order, right? And that's not how they had it. God, God gave them an order that actually had some meaning to it. And, and the end of that was Second Chronicles. And so the end of Second Chronicles, you have the murder of Zechariah. So this is bookending the whole Old Testament, saying basically all of the bloodshed is coming upon you. This is devastating. And then verse 36, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Forty years from this time, the Roman armies would surround Jerusalem and destroy it, not leaving one stone left standing. The, the, the temple. Destroy the temple. This seems almost like God hates Jerusalem in just the language. Such strong language of judgment. But what is God's heart? Such a contrast in these two things. What does Jesus say in verse 37? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. And he's looking back at that history, <laughs> long history. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? That's the heart of God expressed. Jesus is expressing the heart of God towards Jerusalem. Sometimes when we look at the plan of God, which is incredible, we lose sight of the reality of the heart of God. At any point, God would have gathered them together. And I think we see some points in time where he did, where you have one good king comes along and and God's care and refuge and, and, and protection suddenly comes around the people of Israel, but then it only lasts for so long and boom, they're back to to killing the prophets, of rejecting his word. If only you were willing. That, that, That was a real extended offer that had been there. His forbearance, his mercy, his kindness, his patience towards them, long lasting, has been there all along, and yet they were not willing. God's forbearance, patience is also towards us, isn't it? In this passage, something that just sticks out really strong, this is our first point in the notes. If you're following in the notes, we've got some fill-ins just to help track. God is both merciful and just. It's hard to reconcile those things sometimes. How can you be both merciful and just? But God is both perfectly. And we see his love for Jerusalem at the same time as we see him carrying out justice. When Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, and and when Luke gives the account, Luke says he saw Jerusalem and wept. You realize the reality of the heart of God towards Jerusalem. We get all this language of of the woes, and we, we can lose sight of God loved Jerusalem. He loved the people. And and in Luke's account, he said, when he wept, he said, If only you, Jerusalem, had known the things that make for peace. We can say the same thing looking at our country. If only you, if only you knew the things that make for peace. 
We get caught up and we need social reform, political reform, whatever it is. Those aren't the things that make for peace. What, are, what is it that makes for peace? When Isaiah was prophesying about the one who would come, Jesus, gave him a bunch of names in Isaiah chapter 9. He's going to be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The thing that makes for peace is Jesus. If only Jerusalem, if only United States, if only Kyle, east side Kyle, you could see the thing that makes for peace. God, give us the same heart for our city that you have. Verse 38. Jesus says, See, your house is left to you desolate. Why desolate? Jesus is about, he's there in the temple. He's about to leave the temple. Then the next chapter begins with, and Jesus left. That's why they're going to be desolate, and he's going to, and he, and he's going to tell them, um, you're not going to see me again, right? The, the desolation comes when, when the glory of God leaves. And we, this is not the first time Israel has gone through something like this, um, where the glory of God has left, right? If you go back to um, Ezekiel, um, Israel, this was like 600 years before this, before this time here. Um, go back in the Old Testament. What happened, Israel had been divided into, actually even before that, Israel had been divided into two nations. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. God's promise of a savior was going to come through the southern kingdom. So, more like more than 700 years before this, the, the Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern nation. All right? And then there was, eventually Assyria came in and God had said Assyria is going to destroy Judah too. Uh, but, but then Assyria is at the door of Judah and King Hezekiah gets on his knees before the Lord and the, he actually prayed and repented and, and God relented and just like a hen gathering in chicks. That, that's what's ha happened there and, and uh, destroyed and, and sent away the Assyrian armies. But, but judgment was still coming. We see that in the account in the Old Testament that ultimately um, Babylon then was the nation. And Babylon came in and there was a few different phases of attack. And the first phase of attack, uh, they took away 10,000 captives. And in, in those captives was a young man named Ezekiel. I think he was like, well, he was still a teenager at that time. He was the same age as Daniel. And God prophesied through Ezekiel. And you get this experience uh, of Ezekiel, but you also get just this picture of what God is doing and when God prophesies a lot of, uh, through someone or God speaks through someone like that, there's, there's an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy, but it's not the full fulfillment. It's pointing to the future of what's going to happen. And in Ezekiel, um, it describes the first half of Ezekiel is the glory of the Lord, all, all of the abominations in the temple and, and the glory of the Lord leaving out to the east. And then the second half, the glory of the Lord comes back. And you, you have some pictures of things that partially happened. They came back and rebuilt the temple out of Babylon, but it's not complete like it's going to be someday. But in, in one of the prophecies, God says this through Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord, this is a, a vision Ezekiel seeing. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain 
that is on the east side of the city. Jesus saying, you're left desolate. And what does he do? He walks out of the temple and he walks over and stands on the Mount of Olives, the mountain on the east side of the city. That's what's happening here. The glory of the Lord is leaving them. Jesus is the glory. The one who brings peace is there in their midst and he is leaving them. And he's not going to be back for a while. The manifest presence of God has left. Verse 38, See your house is left to you desolate. When I think about how this country was formed, it was formed in the fear of God. And the more that we push God out, um, the more we're losing peace, the more we're losing the source of peace, and the more we can be left desolate. Not for any other reason than that His glory is no longer here. You know, we ask why God allows evil to continue in the world. That's one of the questions in the apologetics topics, right? Israel, back in Ezekiel's days, was asking and questioning the justice of God. Um, when we feel like we're being attacked, when we feel like injustice is being done against us, we have, we have a sense of justice, right? That justice is a good thing to us. Uh, I don't, you'd have to be probably in your late 20s to remember 9-11, right? Um, it's crazy now. There's a whole generation now that, that, wasn't, that doesn't remember when that happened. Um, what did we do following that, if you remember? Justice. Respond quickly now, right? This evil cannot continue. Why does God delay justice? Let's look in Ezekiel chapter 18. One little piece. There's a whole lot in there um, worth looking at, but certainly I don't have time. Chapter 18, verse 23. On the mountain height of Israel, uh, I'm on the wrong one. Chapter 18, verse 23. So they're questioning his justice. Here's what God says. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? Well, that's different than how we look at things. God's forbearance is his mercy and his kindness to give the opportunity ultimately for those who are evil, those who deserve justice, to turn and live. But those, like the Pharisees, who say, oh, we're righteous, we've got it all, for, them to, for their hearts to turn away from God, should they live? That's his question. And then jump down to verse 29. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? He could say the same to us. Question his justice. God, why do you allow evil to continue? You question my justice? Isn't it your ways that aren't just? Therefore, he says, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Everyone, individually. That's a point that's made here in Ezekiel. That even as, as you see the nation around you being judged, each individual will be judged. Repent, then, he says, and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity 
be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Who here on their own can give themselves a new heart and a new spirit? But that's what we need. To turn and, and, and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, why will you die? This is that same heart of God that we see Jesus expressing. Uh, why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Why does God delay justice? It's his forbearance. It's his mercy. It's to give them more time to continue the appeal to say, turn and live. So judgment's coming on the generation there of Israel where Jesus was at. Is it too late for them? Is there no hope left for them? In Ezekiel, as judgment is coming on Israel then, the vision that Ezekiel sees right before God sends in those to destroy the people of Israel in Jerusalem, he sends one ahead to mark each person who in Ezekiel it says, those who sigh and groan over all the abominations committed in the city. There's a remnant, right? There's those individuals whose heart is still matching the heart of God. And, and so we see after Jesus dies and is and raised from the dead, Peter's talking to the people of Israel. The people of Israel who judgment is coming on them, that Jesus is just talking to. And look at what he says in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. Peter tells them, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ as Jesus whom you crucified. He is telling them, Straight up, here's what you just did. You just crucified the Lord. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Here is a people. They have filled up, or they are filling up the transgression. The city is going to be destroyed. And yet individuals hearing and seeing, look what we just did. We just crucified the Lord. They're cut to the heart and they ask the question, what shall we do? That's the best place we can possibly be. When we've realized our sin, we've realized how helpless we are. And then we just ask, what can we do? What, do we, what, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent. It's the same thing Jesus was saying before. It's the same thing that's been since the beginning. Turn, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Jesus. What Jesus just accomplished on the cross, even though you crucified him, he went willingly and he went to pay for your sin. So repent, turn from what you're doing and turn to Christ. Being baptized, that's, that's how you say, yes, I am a follower of Christ. If you've never been baptized, but you'll know I'm a follower of Christ, that's how you express it. That, that's what God has given us to express. I want my life now to belong to him. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Jesus follower. I, I want to turn from following the things of this world and I want to follow him. That's repentance, that's turning. And in him we find life, we find abundant life, we find forgiveness of our sins. 
and we're given a new spirit. Remember what he said? Give yourselves a new heart and spirit. And we receive that through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, to change our heart, to, to make us alive towards God, and to desire the things of God. So for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. There's the good news right there, church. Unless some of you are Jewish, then you're the children. But if you're not, then you are those who are far off. That's me. The promise through Jesus Christ is not just salvation to the Jews. It was to the Jews first, but then also to everyone else. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's us today. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Turn and live. What do I need to do when I realize? I believe, repent. Follow Jesus, be baptized, believe in his name. That is the way. It's not go fix yourself, make yourself better. Trust in Jesus. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 Jewish souls. Even though judgment was coming on Israel, God's extension of mercy, of salvation was there, and many thousands of them turned to him and believed. Here's the second point that we see in all of this. Yes, God is both merciful and just, and his mercy leads to repentance. That's why. Why is God forbearing? Why is God patient? Why does he continue to delay justice? Why does he continue to allow evil in the world is so that more may turn and repent and turn to him and be saved. Romans 2.4. The context there is judging others, right? We, we're real good at judging others. Justice needs to be done on others. But it's, if we're honest, we realize those same things we judge in others are, are right within ourselves. So Romans 2.4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? As you sit there judging others, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant for what? To lead you to repentance. That's why he continues to wait. That's why he continues to delay judgment so that more might turn and be saved. Verse 38, see your house, back, back in Matthew again, see your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, we already saw those words, didn't we? As he came in, the triumphal entry. And there's Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, that, that's coming from Psalm 118. They're quoting it. And they're expecting a Messiah, a Savior to come. And those are supposed to be the words. They know that's what you're going to say when he comes. And, but they were looking for the Messiah to come and save them from the Romans. And from, from they, they weren't understanding Jesus' purpose there. Um, well, Psalm 118 was partially fulfilled in, in the triumphal entry, but that's, it's not fully fulfilled. There's going to be a coming later, right? When they'll, they'll say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna, um, if you remember back when we went through that, Hosanna is when you put the Hebrew of what comes before that verse in Psalm 118, we're saying, save us, O Lord, we pray. Those, those words turn into Hosanna, Right? 
So it's save us, Lord. They're going to cry out to God, save us, O Lord, we pray, and, and then say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to see me again until that time. And Jesus is he's walking out of the temple. The rest of what we have in Matthew is going to be privately between him and the disciples. This is the end of his public ministry. And, and what's going to follow publicly is his trial and crucifixion. They're not going to see him there in the temple. The glory of the Lord is not going to return into the temple until a date that hasn't happened yet. We know from Scripture. That's why I'm interested in just watching what happens in Jerusalem. Are things shaping and forming towards what's going to happen? Because ultimately, things are going to go really bad for Israel. Really bad. What's described in the Bible is terrible. And there's going to be a time when they're going to be crying out to the Lord, and Jesus is going to respond. And just like he left off the Mount of Olives, he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And the way the Bible describes it, it's incredible. He's going to split the Mount of Olives and make a way of escape for them to go to the east. Not, not parting the Red Sea, but parting a mountain, right? So Jesus is telling them here, you're not going to see me again until you're crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's something that we need to not miss here. Just a, a straightforward, basic truth. This is our last Point. Jesus will return. He will return. This hasn't happened yet. Jesus will return. Jesus is both merciful and just. God is both merciful and just. Jesus is the judge. God's get, the Father has given that to him. John, uh, John 5, 22. For the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son. Why? Next verse. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is the judge. He, he's been the judge in the past. He's the judge right here as he's declaring judgment on Israel and the judgment that's going to come when, when Jerusalem is destroyed on, on the city of Jerusalem, I guess, is really the judgment. And when he comes again, he's going to come with judgment. It's going to be, the transgression will be full. It'll be too late. He's not going to hold out forever. His forbearance is not going to be forever. Sometimes we wait. God, why do you delay? Why don't you come back yet? There's an appointed time when he's going to come back. And why doesn't he come back yet? For his mercy and kindness that leads to repentance. That more might turn to him and be saved. He's going to punish evil. He's going to reward righteousness. When we get into chapter 24, we're going to see Jesus talking about some of what's coming up, right? My prayer is that when Jesus does come, that many will be found in this city trusting him. There's many who don't. A lot of our city's lost. This is what matters, church. Why are we still here? Why do we continue to be? It would be better to be with him. Why forbear? Why be patient? Because it's more time so that more can turn to him. We need to pray for our city. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our friends. Anyone who doesn't know him, that he would open eyes that they would see, not be blind, but see the glory of what we have in Jesus Christ and turn and be saved and live.
Jesus said in Ezekiel, and he says today, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving us life. And I just praise your name for your forbearance. There's a lot of evil going on in this world, and you continue to allow it. But that's only going to be for some time. And then you will come and judge. Lord, make us purposeful in the time that we have, intentional to share the salvation that is to be had in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins that can be had through the blood shed on the cross. God, help us to just be bold in sharing that. That's the only message that matters. That's the only way to true peace is in the presence, in the manifest presence of Jesus Christ that we receive through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that we have that in our life. Thank you for your salvation. And even as you guide us, God, in this world, um, don't let us be distracted by the things that this world has to offer. These things are all gonna go up in flame. What the world needs is you. God, I pray for our city. I pray that you do a revival here. That you would just bring about brokenness for sin. God, you are ready, just like you were for the people of Israel. At any moment, don't find the people here unwilling. But Lord, let people turn to you faith repenting from sin and saying we need you Jesus we want to follow Jesus for people to to be baptized in your name saying look I am confessing before men that Jesus is my Lord that's what we pray for Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
That's the truth. If you've never turned to Jesus, that's why he died on the cross. Pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. We can't make ourselves right. We can't give ourselves a new heart. We can't put a new spirit within us. That's what Jesus did for us. We just need to turn to him. You've never done that. Turn to Jesus. He is calling. That's why we continue on. He wants more to come to know him, to call on his name, and to be saved. I love you, church. Go in the Lord this week.